Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. Sometimes you find the things that you're not looking for. On December 18, 1981, Dale Smith was looking for a Christmas tree with his wife and twin four-year-olds. While his wife had the twins, Dale decided to venture a little bit further into the woods. He wanted to find the perfect tree. That's when he noticed a pair of legs sticking out of the brush. You know, at first he thought it was a mannequin because there was a pile of discarded toys also nearby. Upon closer inspection, he knew it was not a mannequin. By this time, his wife had found Dale and she went to inspect the body herself. Dale didn't want to see the face. He didn't want that image stuck forever in his mind. When his wife came back, she said it looked like the girl who'd been missing. This week, I'll talk about the murder of Dana Bradley. So this week's case is actually a listener's suggestion from Lynette Follett. She wrote to me on Instagram. Lynette grew up knowing Dana Bradley's story as this cautionary tale to not hitchhike. She said the story is still very common in Newfoundland, 
Canada, this is where it takes place, even though this crime occurred in the 80s. And Lynette was really sweet in her message, and she even offered to help with any pronunciations if I needed it, and I took her up on that. So thanks a lot, Lynette. For my research, I used articles from The Telegram by Barb Sweet, one on saltwire.com, capebrettonpost.com, as well as Reddit and Wikipedia, among others. Dana Bradley was a pretty blue-eyed 14-year-old girl who lived on Patrick Street in St. John's. This is an area of Newfoundland, Canada. St. John's is described as, quote, the perfect combination of big city luxury and traditional small-town charm. This is by the Newfoundland and Labrador.com website. Dana's parents, William and Don, were divorced, so Dana lived with her mom and her mother's fiancé, Jeff Levitz. And Dana was just your average teenager. She was a good kid who loved to hang out with her girlfriends. And that's where she was the last day she was seen, hanging out with her friends, Penny and Terry. After school, the girls did some running around before they decided to head home. The fastest way to get home was to hitch a ride. So let me get into hitchhiking really quick. This takes place in 1981, and hitchhiking was extremely popular in the 70s and 80s. I mean, all over the place, especially the United States and Canada. Nowadays, of course, it's such a taboo thought to get into a stranger's car or to let a stranger into yours. Back then, this was just the norm. I remember when I was little, my grandfather picking out many a hitchhiker, and this is with his wife and grandchild in the car, so it kind of shows you how socially acceptable that was. I mean, not to sound old, but it was a different time. Kids ran around until it got dark. People sold things door to door, and young people hitchhiked. Wherever you wanted to go, you just stood by the road and stuck out your thumb. I mean, it's in countless pop culture things like the movie The Hitcher, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. One of my favorite books, Even Cowgirls Get the Blues by Tom Robbins. It's all about a girl who has this giant thumb that comes in really handy when she wants to hitchhike. So that's just to give you a sense of what Dana and her friends were doing that day. And it was very normal. The girls got a ride first dropping off Terry at her house. And Penny and Dana then walked to Penny's house, which wasn't too far from Dana's. At Penny's, Dana called her grandma to tell her that she'd be home soon since it was her mom's birthday and they were going to have this big birthday party. Perhaps because it was starting to get dark, Dana decided to hitch a ride home. On Topsail Road, right across from the Tim Hortons, a car pulled over around 5.20 p.m. This is on December 14, 1981. The car is described by witnesses as a 1973-76 to Dodge Dart or Plymouth Valiant four-door sedan. And the color description is kind of vague. It was either beige, tan, or faded yellow with lots of rust damage. Harry Smeaton and his brother John were selling Christmas trees in an empty lot behind the bus stop. And because it wasn't busy, they were watching traffic just go by as they sat in the bed of their truck. 
They saw Dana and they thought that she was going to catch the bus until she stuck out her thumb and the car pulled over. The driver of the car had to reach across to open the passenger door since the handle was broken. Now, in retrospect, the brothers wished they would have noticed a license plate, but since nothing was out of the ordinary, they didn't. Now, I did read a different account that said Dana had intended to take the bus, and she told her friends so. So maybe she didn't deliberately hitchhike, but maybe the car simply pulled over and the driver offered her a ride. When Dana didn't return home, her mother was alarmed. It just didn't make sense that Dana had just called and said she would be there soon, and she was excited about her mother's birthday party. Dana's mother, Dawn, and her boyfriend, Jeff, decided to drive around looking for her. After a few hours of checking everywhere they could think, straight panic set in. I mean, Dawn knew something was wrong. This wasn't like her daughter at all. She was a good kid, and she never got into trouble. Finally, they went to the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary, or the RNC. I had no idea what this was, so I had to look it up and get advice here. The RNC are a provincial police service for the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, and they enforce the provincial laws and provide police services to the area. I guess it's one of four provincial police forces in Canada, the others being Ontario Provincial Police, the Alberta Sheriff's Branch, and the Surete du Quebec. I had to get clarification and pronunciation from Lynette about this whole thing, and she told me how to pronounce constabulary, which I still have trouble saying. I asked her if this was the same as the RCMP or the Royal Canadian Mounted Police or Mounties, and she said that they're separate, but they do also ride horses, if any of that makes sense. After contacting the RNC, Dawn was told that they had to wait 24 hours to file a missing persons report, which is like how it is in the U.S. I guess police used to just always assume that a kid was a runaway. But thank goodness we now have things like Amber Alert that doesn't waste those precious minutes and hours. After 24 hours with her daughter still missing, the police finally filed the report for Dawn. Now the disappearance was being taken seriously and was being splashed across the media. One of the Smeaton brothers saw Dana's picture in the paper, and he notified the other brother, who was one step ahead of him and already called the police. With their details and those of two other witnesses, police were able to put together a composite sketch of the man driving the car. He was a white male with a thin face and kind of average-length hair, just a really normal-looking guy. Nothing really stood out about him about his features. I guess if I had to cast him in a movie, I might pick someone like Tom Holland or Lucas Hedges to play him. Now, I can't even imagine what her parents and family were going through in those agonizing days, waiting for any word or sign of Dana. Sadly, the wait wouldn't be long. It was on December 18th that Dale Smith found Dana's body in the woods of Maddox Cove. This is a small town south of St. John's. 
and she was dressed in the clothes that she was last seen in. Blue pants, cowboy boots, and a winter jacket. Smith found a man cutting wood, and he asked him to watch over the crime scene so that he could go phone the police. Dana was laid out in what's described as burial fashion. Her school books were tucked underneath her arm, and she was just laying flat. She had multiple blunt force injuries to her head. I couldn't find out anywhere whether she had been sexually assaulted or not. Either that was something the police didn't reveal, or it wasn't mentioned in any of the articles I could find. It's thought that she was murdered the same day she disappeared. This was now a major murder case. The police examined over 2,000 cars matching the description given by the witnesses and interviewed over 1,000 people. The St. John's community was devastated. At Dana's funeral service on December 21st, Reverend Robert Mills said her death was shocking and it terrified and angered us all and that it doesn't happen here, not in this community. And it only goes to show that there's still too much evil, too many evil people in the world. Police threw all their resources at the case. The RCMP worked closely with the RNC. A joint task force was established using 35 full-time investigators. And it was described as one of the most exhaustive and expensive in Canadian history. Before as much work as the police put into the search for Data Bradley's killer, her case quickly went cold. There were no new developments in the case. And that was until 1986 when there was a confession. Mount Pearl resident and ex-con David Summerton confessed to police that he had killed Dana. Summerton was charged with first-degree murder. However, he later recanted his confession, saying the police coerced the confession out of him. He was thoroughly investigated and cleared due to no evidence that he had killed Dana. He was convicted of public mischief and sentenced to two years in jail. There was also a man who apparently made harassing phone calls to the Bradley family. This was in 1982, and he was jailed, but... I couldn't find out his name anywhere. Then, in 2014, a man came forward using the pseudonym of Robert. And this was in an interview with the Telegram, saying he witnessed Dana Bradley's murder. Robert claims to have known the man that did this as a child and says he suffered horrendous sexual abuse at this man's hands. The man was reportedly a family friend who would also serve time in prison in the 1990s for sexually abusing children. According to Robert, all his memories were repressed in his mind until he quit drinking. Afterward, his mind was clear, and the memories then resurfaced. He told the telegram, quote, The alcohol was coping, but it turned on me, and when I took it out of the equation, I found myself but I had no idea what was coming to the surface. Robert recalls the day Dana disappeared. He and another kid were riding in the car in the back seat when the man reportedly stopped to pick up Dana on Topsail Road. 
He claims the man sexually assaulted Dana and killed her by hitting her on the head with a tire iron. The man had no remorse, according to Robert. He then said he tucked Dana's books under her arms because Robert cared about her and he didn't understand what was happening to her. On the anniversary of Dana's death in 2011, Robert met with the RCMP to discuss what he said he saw. The police thoroughly investigated Robert's claims. During 16 months of investigation, they collected around 2,000 pages of material, as well as consultations with experts, a ground search, and DNA testing. But in the end, Robert's story was not believed by the police. There was a commission that determined they didn't think Robert was lying, but instead suffering from false memory syndrome. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Robert, of course, disagrees with their findings. He said, I don't think they looked hard enough. I think there were a lot of investigational techniques that were not used. I think they focused on trying to discredit me rather than try to find evidence. It was a shallow investigation. The telegram got a neuropsychiatrist, a guy named Dr. Hugh Morello, to speak with Robert. He thinks that Robert is the real deal and that police were too quick to dismiss his claims. During their meeting, Robert suffered a panic attack brought on by a flashback. He feels that it would be too difficult for someone to make up such a story. Robert admits that in the beginning, he himself doubted the memories. He now feels he has dissociative amnesia and post-traumatic stress disorder, and he works closely with doctors. Robert's parents are torn about the memories. On one hand, they want them to be false. On the other hand, they have to accept the fact that this man who was their friend abused their son, and that's a pretty hard pill to swallow. Now, the telegram didn't disclose the man's identity, but there is a Facebook page called Justice for Dana Bradley, as well as other sources that say that this man's name is Thomas Carey. According to this Facebook page, Thomas Carey worked as a janitor at St. Bernard Elementary School in a place called Whitless Bay. He was very socially active in the community and at one time was even the mayor. 
During the 70s and 80s, he was a businessman, and he was very involved in the town's administration, as well as lots of community work. He was a very respected man, to say the least. That was until December 13, 1990, when he was arrested by the RCMP and charged with 10 charges of child sexual abuse. The victims in the charges were as young as 9 and as old as 20, spanning from the year 1969 to 1983, and the victims were both boys and girls. He pleaded guilty to six of the charges and was found guilty on one other, and he was sentenced to four and a half years in prison. During the trial, it came out that Carrie had been convicted in 1978 of five charges of trafficking stolen property, but he didn't serve any jail time. In early 2000s, he was found guilty of price-fixing and bid-rigging school bus contracts in the time that he operated a school bus operation. In 2007, a petition circulated around Whitless Bay to have him kicked out of town. So according to this Facebook page, Tom Carey looks very good as a suspect in Dana's death. Many of his victims testified about being taken by car to an area outside of St. John's where they were assaulted. This person on this page thinks that he looks like the composite sketch of the man who picked up Dana that day. And the person on the page claims to have been a close friend of Tom Carey's. This man says that they were both in the same political party at a district level from 1979 to 1982, and that they had many business meetings together, as well as just regular chats. He says he knew him quite well. When Dana disappeared and this sketch surfaced, this man thought that it looked amazingly like Tom Carey, he said he even remarked about it to his wife, but due to Tom Carey's upstanding character, he just dismissed the idea. But he was floored when Carey was convicted of sexual abuse of minors. The man even says he figured out the identity of Robert, having known his father. However, Carey was cleared of any suspicion in Dana's death by the RCMP. There are three missing women from the St. John's area who also have unsolved cases like Dana Bradley's, which I found in an article for the CBC News by Ariana Kelland. 20-year-old Pamela Asprey was last seen heading to a place called Aaron's Pub on November 12, 1984. It's not exactly known how she traveled from her boarding house to the pub, but it's thought that she hitchhiked. She stayed at the pub for a couple hours before leaving. Pamela told her friend that she would be back in just 20 minutes, and she left her wallet with her. She was last seen getting into a large, dark car around 9.30 p.m. 25-year-old Henrietta Mellick was from Labrador, but she was living in St. John's. She was last seen on December 11, 1982, on foot near the Trans-Canada Highway, headed toward Conception Bay North along Roach's Line. Right before that, she was seen at the Key Club on Water Street, where she was apparently having trouble with two men. Reports say that her keys and purse were left at the club. 17-year-old Sharon Drover finished her shift at McDonald's after midnight 
on December 29, 1978, and to get home, she was going to hitchhike. In the 1990s, two brothers came forward, claiming to have picked Sharon up that night she disappeared. They say they dropped her off at Long's Hill, where she got into a heated argument with some people near the front of her apartment. These cases cannot be directly connected to Dana's or each other's, but I do find it really odd they all disappeared in the same month and were all rumored to have been hitchhiking. Dana Bradley's case has been featured on many television shows in Canada, and there was even a song called The Ghost of Dana Bradley by Ron Hines. Tips still come in regarding the case to this day, according to the RCMP. Retired reporter Pat Doyle and photographer Dick Green vividly remember going to the scene of the crime that awful day. When they arrived, the area had been roped off. Green tried to get through and sneak a shot of the crime scene by going through the woods, an aspect of his job that he hated. Doyle recalls covering the funeral and how hard it was on Dana's family and classmates. Another person who remembers is Dale Smith, the man who found Dana's body. When his twins turned Dana's age, he worried about them, especially his girl. Although he said, you have to let them grow up, you just couldn't keep them under your thumb all the time. And every year, he and his wife think about Dana and how she would now be a grown woman. The principal at Dana's school, Fred Talk, remembers when he heard the news about Dana's body being found. He was preparing to chaperone at the school's dance that night. Instead of canceling the dance, the teachers came to the school and they helped to talk kids and deal with their grief. He remembers Dana as an ordinary ninth grade student. He said, Dana was a good kid and she would have been a fantastic adult. That was the disappearance of Dana Bradley. Thank you again, Lynette, for suggesting that case. It is really a sad one. And it really makes you wonder about Robert's claims. People seem really divided in aspects of his story. And as Lynette said, Dana's story has become a testament to not hitchhike. I think back on all the different hitchhikers my grandpa picked up, and I think we're lucky to have not picked up someone with really bad intentions. And then you also have to wonder if we ever picked up someone who went missing. It's scary. Sometimes it's a miracle any kid made it through the 70s and 80s. I mean, think about it. We ran around without supervision. We didn't wear seatbelts. It was a total shit show. Come and join the Red Rum Blonde Facebook group. I want to welcome Abby and Sarah. The South Park Township Library had a Zoom event this past week called Murder, She Spoke, where I answered questions for about an hour about the podcast and Sarah ended up asking me a really good one. I think I did okay. I lost my train of thought quite a few times and kind of rambled on because I'm not really good at being the center of attention and I'm not good at being spontaneous. I was actually so nervous that before the event, I threw up twice. But overall, I guess it went okay. My friend Amy was on there and she said that I did great. 
So I'm going to just trust her word and try to stop cringing and thinking about it. I want to thank everyone who wrote in to tell me that they like my voice after I said how much I hated it on the last episode. That made me feel a lot better. Especially when Cara Coslo from the most amazing podcast, Murder Me a Little, she said that I was one of her favorite podcasts, so you guys are all so sweet. Keep those story suggestions coming. Find me on social media or email me at redrumblonde at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and catch you guys next week.